All right, so today we come to one of the favorite Sunday school stories of all time. This is Peter's miraculous deliverance from prison. And it's such a great story because it is so applicable to all of us all the time. And so from Acts 12, verses 1 through 5. Now, they say that electricity just loves to get to the ground. That's all it wants to do is get to the ground. And so we we ground out our circuits, right? Electricity just wants to get to the ground. And in our little illustration here, what you see is the power generator on the top and the electricity is going to try to get to the ground on the bottom. And the power generator in our lives is God. And then as you see the little yellow line, vertical line come down, that's a switch. The diagonal line is the switch. And what you have to do is spin that switch vertical to join the the two wires together. And the first switch is prayer. And then you go down a little further and there's another switch. And this one is obedience. You need to swing that one vertical so it makes the connection and the electricity won't jump the gap. But if you make the connection, you're good to go. If you flip both of those switches, obedience and prayer, then you're going to complete the circuit. Now, the Lord is going to have a wonderful outcome for your life, like a light bulb, a wonderful outcome for your life. And uh, we have finished the circuit. We've gone to ground. Well, that's what's happening in Acts chapter 12. That's what has to happen every day of your life. This is the important thing. It's not okay if you don't pray. That's a switch. And if you want the Lord's very best in your life, You're going to have to be a person who prays for certain things. Uh, Come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace. If you'd like to have mercy and grace, then you really have to be a praying person. You have to go before the throne of grace to appeal for that. And obedience is not optional. Uh, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. You have to be an obedient person. A righteous man accomplishes much. So you need both switches to be thrown and then the circuit is complete and wonderful outcomes happen in your life. All right, here's what's happening in Acts chapter 12. Now, about that time, Herod Agrippa, we know which Herod we're talking about here. There were several Herods. This is Herod Agrippa 1. He stretched forth his hands to afflict certain people of the church and he killed James. So, you know, James and John, the famous disciples, well, James gets killed here in Acts chapter 12. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Now, these were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions, that's four squads of four, four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Passover to bring him forth to the people. And Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Remember, prayer is one of those switches. You've got to complete the circuit. Prayer is made without ceasing for him. Verse 6, And when Herod intended to bring him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands, and the angel said to him, Dress yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Wrap your garment around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and did not know that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. And when they were past the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. All right, so just by way of introduction, a couple things here. There are three miraculous prison releases in the book of Acts. 
We already saw one in chapter 5 when the apostles were arrested and uh, incarcerated and miraculously uh, released by an angel. This one, Acts 12, Peter released by an angel. And when we come to Acts 16, we'll see that Paul and Silas are released by a supernatural earthquake. So three miraculous prison releases. Interestingly, these circumstances are identical between James and Peter. Identical. So they're probably taking place within a few weeks of each other, a very short period of time. So Herod has the apostle James killed, and all of the Jewish leaders are glad to see him gone. So Herod said, well, if a little of that is good, a lot of that will be better. So he arrests Peter and tends to kill Peter too. Only this time, Peter is led out of the prison by an angel. So our question is, why did God behave differently with James and let him get killed than with Peter and deliver him? Why? And of course, we don't know. They're in identical circumstances, a few weeks apart. The same God, the same Herod, the same kind of apostles. Why such a different outcome? But here in yellow font, I'm reminding you that both James and Peter believed to the depths of their being that what God was doing was the very smartest and the very most loving thing he could possibly send their way, all things considered. So both of these apostles were undoubtedly resting in the Lord for whatever he had in store. Now, we talked about the two switches, and that will form the, um, the main point uh, that we begin with. Switch number one, main point number one. Uh, God's deliverance comes, but he does require quick obedience. Now, there are certain blessings that come to everybody, whether they're rascals or not. The Lord causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust, and nobody's obeying and nobody is praying for it. But then there are other things that the Lord sends his people, other blessings that he sends his people if they pray. And then there are other blessings that he sends them even if they don't pray. I mean, so many of us have blessings that have come to us even if we don't pray. And hopefully you are, you are engaging both of these switches. But the first one we're talking about is obedience. And we mean ready obedience, eager obedience, cheerful obedience. And by the way, many of the elements in Peter's escape story are mirrored in our own lives. So, for example, the bondage and release of every convert ever is very much like what we're seeing here in Acts chapter 12 with the release of Peter from prison. We'll say more about that in a minute. And then the bondage and release of ordinary believers like you and me. Uh, Not just at conversion, but all through our lives. We need to be rescued. And what we see happening in Acts 12 is very similar to the Lord's rescue of us in so many ways. Charles Wesley picked up on this and in the song, And Can It Be, you have this stanza, which I've always loved. And of course, this is Acts 12 turned to a song and applied to all of us as individual believers. Charles Wesley said, Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin in nature's night. See, it's dark. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. That's what happened to Peter. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed the amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, didst die for me, shouldst die for me. Amazing. So Acts 12 is you. It's Peter, but it's also you. And it will be deliverances that are forthcoming beyond conversion. All through your life, the Lord is going to do things like this for you. 
All right, so here is how Peter's prison mirrors your bondage. We all have to be delivered. And so Herod's prison was terminal. Acts 12, 2. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. So it was terminal in James's case. And Herod meant for prison to be terminal in Peter's case. But really, all sin is terminal unless you have a savior. And not just your sins, but also your deficiencies. How will you overcome your faults, your failures, your weakness, unless you have a rescuer? And so you need somebody to enable you to be so much more than you would otherwise be. The supernatural light shined in the prison. And that's so wonderful, isn't it? From verse 7 of Acts 12. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him and a light shined in the prison. So illumination. And this is great because the Lord supernaturally illuminates us. That's how we became Christians in the first place. The Lord had to draw us. The Lord had to knock on the door. We got a clue. And so we became Christians. But that's true of even now. How are we going to be delivered from the temptations, from the chronic sins, from the emotional unwellness that keeps overtaking us? How are we going to break all of these bonds? And the answer is going to have to be that the Lord shines his supernatural light and gives us help. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, The God of this world, making reference to Satan, who is uh, the ruler of this world, said the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe, lest the light, there it is, the shining light, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. But verse 6 is so nice, isn't it? I just love that. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts. Isn't that great? God's light shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But this treasure, you know what we have this in? We have it in a a clay jar. Um, It's like a candle in a clay pot. And no one would ever guess that inside this ugly physical body that we have is the glorious light of God. How wonderful. And so the supernatural light shined in the prison and the Lord shined in our hearts and sets us free from so many things that hold us in bondage. What's amazing is that even the two soldiers at Peter's side did not see this light, and they did not hear the angel say, get up. They didn't hear it. They didn't see it. So, verse 6. And when Herod intended to bring him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. I mean, they're right there. He's sleeping between two soldiers. Bound with two chains. And the Lord himself supernaturally initiates salvation. He had to come to us when we were in bondage. And he has to initiate all of our lesser deliverances from temptation and chronic sin and emotional unwellness. The Lord has to take the initiative. He has to come to us because we can't come to him. So he takes the initiative. In John fifteen five. you know, without me, you can do nothing. If I didn't take the initiative, it would never happen. And so God takes the initiative. And Peter's chains just fell off. That's so great, isn't it? From verse 7, the angel says, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off from his hands. How great. Our duty is to obey. The Lord says, Arise up quickly. Wake up. Get going. Arise up quickly. We can do that. If the Lord tells us to do something, we can do that. 
You know what we can't do? We can't just make chains fall off. Only God can do that. But if Peter said, no, Lord, I'm sleepy. Go away. Uh, we ruin the story. The angel says, get up quickly. Peter gets up and chains fall off his hands. And so God does what only he can do. But you do have to obey quickly. That's what it says. Rise up quickly. The only kind of obedience that you should relish in your walk with the Lord is quick obedience. Like I just, uh, I believe it's William Culbertson who said, have no controversy with God. No controversy with God. If God says jump, we'll ask how high when we're in the air, right? Uh, Quickly, quickly, let's go. And so only God can make the chains fall, fall off, but you can obey quickly, right? You can get up. That part you can do. Arise quickly and follow me. This is always the urgent command of God. Get up quickly and follow me right right away. Get get going quickly. And Peter did so. That is always the right response. If you want to have his maximal blessing in your life, if you want to complete the circuit, all the good things the Lord will send your way, the switch of obedience better be on. You want to be on all the way. So that's it. The angel said to him, dress yourself, tie on your sandals. And he did. He did. And you can. What the Lord is asking you to do, your part in completing this circuit, you can. You know, it's just amazing. Um, They say if you don't know how to work on a Tesla car, you better not just start doing that. Because the voltage can kill you. The voltage can ruin your whole life. And I've seen the uh, wires they run to charge a Tesla. It's, it's a heavier wire a lot of times than you have going to your electric range, which is a serious wire. And so it takes a lot of juice to charge a Tesla. And a Tesla has a lot of juice in it. And you don't want to just go fooling around with that. Well, in our analogy, the Lord is able to do such powerful things. I mean, you'll grant me that, right? The Lord is like really high voltage. But you know what makes a Tesla come on? You just push a button. And you can't make the voltage, but you could push the button, right? You could do that. You know what makes God's power come on? Well, he's sending it. Just flip the switch, you know. Obey. You could do that. He's not asking you to make chains fall off. He's just asking you to obey. You can do that, right? So you obey and you've completed the circuit. The angel said to him, dress yourself. Can you do that? Yeah, I can do that. Tie your sandals. I I can do that. So he did. And the circuit is working nicely. The guards somehow didn't see the escape. Why didn't they look? I mean, he's between. Peter's between two guards. Plus, there will be guards on the outside. Why aren't they paying attention? Why don't they see? Well, maybe they're asleep. Maybe they're distracted. The Lord causes some kind of a diversion. Or maybe they're having visions of their own. For whatever reason, they don't know what's going on. It says in verse 10, when they were past the first and second guard, just walking right by like there's no trick to it, they came to an iron gate. Our duty is to obey quickly. Something we can do. You know what you can't do? You can't make the guards not see the obvious. You can't do that. You don't have to do that. See, the real power comes from the Lord. Your power is to go to the switch and go, dink. Can you do that? You can do that. You do your part and the tremendous circuit is completed. 
So simple obedience triggers all the wonderful things of God. You can do that. He's not asking you to do what you cannot do. There has no temptation taken you. But such as is common to man, a lot of people have exactly the same thing you do. God is faithful. He'll not allow you to be tempted above what you are able to bear, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. I mean, you can do it. Flip the switch. Complete the circuit. The guards didn't see, and that's strange because they were highly motivated to see. I mean, it's not like they don't really care. Because we're reading in verse 6, you know, same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. So they're very close. And verse 10, when they were past the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate. And verse 19, next day, Herod is looking for Peter. Herod had sought for Peter, did not find him. And he examined the prison keepers, the prison guards, and commanded that they should be put to death. Like, it's not just a little thing. Like, oh, sorry, we didn't notice. Like, no, they, they were motivated to notice, but they just couldn't. So, once again, you do what you can do. You can't make guards not notice. That's what God has to do. We love the story of Brother Andrew, who died just a few years ago. And during the Cold War years, he was smuggling Bibles into the old Soviet bloc countries where uh, Bibles were forbidden. And so he got this little Volkswagen from a Christian who said, you got to have this. And so he got this little Volkswagen and he piled it full of little New Testaments. He put New Testaments in a sleeping bag and rolled them up. He put New Testaments in his tent and rolled it up. He put New Testaments in a suitcase under his clothes. He put New Testaments in the backseat of his car, everywhere you could possibly squeeze Christian literature in. But now he's going to cross the border into the Soviet bloc. And if they catch him, uh, bad things are going to happen. So um, he's nearing the border between Austria, free Austria, and Yugoslavia. He says, Lord, in my luggage, I have scripture that I want to take to your children across this border. When you were on earth, you made blind eyes see. Now I pray, make seeing eyes blind. Do not let the guards see those things. You do not want them to see. So they go to the border, get out of your car, get your suitcases and boxes out. And they're just chatting in a friendly way with Brother Andrew. And um, they padded his tent where there are lots of New Testaments. Mm, Nothing there. Padded his um, sleeping bag. Lots of Christian. Uh, We don't feel anything. Take out the suitcase. Take out the clothes filled with boxes of literature. The boxes are sitting there. Sitting in the suitcase, in plain sight, they're looking at the boxes. And um, for whatever reason, closed it up, waved him through. Crazy, right? Now, you can do what you can do, and God will do what he does. What we just need is for you to complete the circuit, obey what the Lord is telling you to do. Well, the prison gate somehow just swung open. Who would think? Verse 10, when they were past the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord, of its own accord. In Greek, automatos, like automaton, automatically, just open. Well, iron gates don't just unlock and open all by themselves, you know. Peter could obey. He could follow, and he did. He did what he was supposed to do to complete the circuit. And then God does what only he can do make iron gates unlock and swing open. Quick obedience is what you need. It's the key to your deliverance from the bondage that you don't like. The bondage from temptation, chronic sin, 
emotional unwellness that plagues your heart from time to time. What you need is quick obedience. So in 1979, Johnny Erickson Tata, whom I'm sure all of you know, uh, she was 30 years old in 1979. She had been paralyzed uh, from the neck down since she was 16 years old. So in other words, from 16 to age 30, she's been in a wheelchair and requires all kinds of help. All right. Well, in 1979, the Billy Graham organization wanted to do a movie about Johnny Erickson's life and how the Lord had given her victory over all of these uh, very, very uh, dire hardships that come with quadriplegia. Um, the, the movie was happening at a time in Johnny's life where she was getting a little bitter against God. Uh, specifically, at 30 years old, she was thinking, I would like to have a lifetime companion. Uh, my life is hard. And so while they're shooting, there's actually one of the fellows who's helping make the movie. He's not even a Christian. And she's kind of falling for him, you know, like she really likes this guy. He's not even a Christian. Um, she says, as this movie is being shot all about God's greatness in her life, she said, I must not let them know that I truthfully don't believe, uh, don't prefer the company of my Christian friends. I don't prefer their company. That I hardly read my Bible now. That I'm nearly anorexic. I cannot eat. That my prayers are lifeless, even self-centered. That I want to date anybody and that I don't like this wheelchair. When the shoot is over, they have a little party in her honor and she's supposed to address everybody. So she says some little things and she barely mentions the Lord. And she says, I cry, not because I love these people, but because I know I've let them down. I let God down. And that's how it ended. She was a short time later uh, back in her home church where John MacArthur is the pastor. And he's talking to her about spiritual compromise. I mean, talking to the congregation about spiritual compromise. And she says, as he's speaking, she's thinking. And she says, I don't like what I see. Hidden resentment discontent in almost every situation, envy, the pull of temptation, a lazy attitude toward God's word, self-centered prayers, the list looms and my stomach gets queasy again. It's never any good to be disobedient uh, unless you like a queasy stomach. It's no good. She says, for months I have been wrestling with my problems, not even certain what is at the bottom of those struggles. Could all that struggling, it slowly dawns, be nothing but a polite word for postponed obedience? Ah, the great things that God would send your way require a switch to be thrown called obedience. But she hasn't thrown the switch. So the wonderful outcomes don't continue. The circuit's not complete. Neil Anderson is very good with working with people who seem to have demonic interference in their lives. He's one of my seminary professors in Southern California. And uh, he's talking to Daisy. Daisy is a 26-year-old Christian woman. She's a university graduate, so obviously very bright. But uh, she's been institutionalized three times because of paranoid schizophrenia. She church hops. She's very unhappy in every way. And so she comes to Neil Anderson for counseling. And he begins to talk to her about obedience, you know, flipping the switch. And she jumps up in a huff, heads for the door and says, I got to get out of here. And so Neil Anderson chases her down the church hallway and says, Daisy, is Jesus your Lord? 
And she turns around in a rage, snarling in a demonic tone. And she said, you ask Jesus who my Lord is. Uh, Pretty alarming. So he tries it again. Daisy is Jesus, your Lord. Same response. You ask Jesus who my Lord is. Third time. Daisy, is Jesus your Lord? And she sighed. Said, yes. She came back in and come to find out she hated her father. She had no contact with with the occult, but she hated her father. And that had caused um, uh, an invitation to go out to Satan's agents, and they were tormenting her. She eventually forgave her father, and her sanity was restored. There's no deliverance without obedience. The Lord says, you have to forgive. You say, no, I will not throw the switch. But if you don't throw the switch, you can't complete the circuit, and then you can't get all those wonderful things that the Lord would send to your life with all the wonderful outcomes. John Gotch was a high school athlete, a Christian kid, and he was asked, you know, what are your goals? He said, I want to be all-conference football champion while I'm in high school, and I want to play college ball, and I want to play professional ball. That's what I want to do. And he was very focused on that. That's all he wanted to do. Sure enough, In his senior year of high school, he is the all-conference champion. He has many scholarships to colleges who want him to come and play football. And would you believe it, in January, the uh, pericardial sac around his heart gets all swollen. I mean, he can hardly move. He can hardly breathe. And they don't know why it's like this. It leaves him in the hospital for three months. Well, because he just wants to play college football and he has all these scholarships, he rehabs like crazy. Eventually, he's able to spend 17 hours a day doing therapy and workouts, and he's, he's back to his, his, his old athletic peak. And then it happens again in the summertime. The doctors give him medication. They think, well, maybe this, this will you know, shrink everything back to where it belongs, and you'll still be able to go to college and play football. You get to August, and there's this last appointment with the doctors. You're at like the the drop dead deadline. He has to tell the coach, you know, I'm in or I'm I'm not in. And the college coach is watching him and and what's going to happen. And the doctor said, it's it's no good. You you can't play football this season. There's just no way. Well, he is crestfallen, mortified. He gets in his car. He's driving home. He stops at a restaurant. He gets something to eat. But what he's really doing is just weeping. He weeps out there for a whole hour just sorting through life. He's so disappointed. It's the death of a dream. And he finally comes to the place as a Christian kid where he prays and says, God, I'm tired of running and fighting you because he was so mad that God was messing up his career with this illness. He says, okay, I'm tired of running and fighting you. And I can't run as fast as you can. He was a fast runner. He said, I can't run as fast as you can. So in his car, right then and there, he promised the Lord, He wasn't going to be mad at him anymore. And he was just going to live his way. Whatever the Lord wants, it's okay with him. So then he goes home. He pulls into the driveway and he sees his mom run past the window. She comes out the door and meets him in the driveway. She says, John, you can play. The doctor just called. He misread your test results this afternoon. Your heart is fine. Isn't that crazy? If you want God's good things... You have to obey. Flip that switch and get back into obedience and then the circuit is complete. Um, I don't want to belabor this, but only mention it in passing because it is a thing in our current culture. 
The American Enterprise Institute, not a Christian organization as far as I know, had recently made this statement. A great deal of public health research has shown that LGBTQ youth struggle with depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, and a range of mental health challenges at far higher rates than their straight or cisgender peers. It is never safe to sin. It's never safe to sin. The National Association of Educators had a news article from 2022 in which they were endorsing the Trevor Project, which was a survey of 35,000 LGBTQ students. And it found that nearly half of these youth seriously considered killing themselves. If you want God's goodness in your life, you have to obey. You have to do it his way. And there is no substitute for that. Well, the other switch is a little bit easier to explain and perhaps a little more obvious to you. But it is the switch of prayer. You have to pray if you want the Lord's deliverance. Let us go before the throne of grace that we might obtain grace, obtain mercy. You have to go if that's what you want. And we're talking about humble prayer from people who believe God always sends them the thing that is most totally genius and most totally tender when they pray. That's what it means to pray in faith. Verse 5. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when he considered this, that is, he was released by the angel. He's standing out on the street by himself. When he considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who's called Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gateway, a young maidservant came to hear named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she did not open the gate because of gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. They're all praying and he's outside. Uh, most of us find this to be pretty humorous. Uh, and they said to her, you're crazy. Like, we're praying for it, but it would never happen. Um, you're crazy. You're mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Peter was outside. And then they said, it is his angel. It can't be Peter. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he motioned to them with his hand to be quiet, declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go show these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Prayers of faith don't mean what people normally think they mean. The believers praying for Peter at that time had just watched James die under identical circumstances. The same leader, Herod, the same prison, undoubtedly, the same idea, we're going to kill another apostle, make everybody happy. It's just the same. And there's hardly any time in between. So the people of the church think they know what's happening here. Peter's going to die now. So their prayer of faith was probably not that Peter would get released probably because of what they saw happening with James, they were praying that supernaturally Peter would be comforted, like surely James was comforted, even though James was killed. And they're probably praying that Peter would be unflinchingly loyal, same as James was unflinchingly loyal before he died. And they were probably praying that this, this um, martyrdom would be instrumental in bringing many people to faith in Jesus because Peter, who was in a position to know about the resurrection, was willing to die, saying, it's true, it's true. And that's probably what they were praying. They were praying in faith. But because they'd seen James executed, they thought they knew what the Lord had in mind. Interestingly, 20 or so years later, 
equally faith-filled believers, probably many of the same who prayed for Peter in that Acts 12 circumstance, were praying for him again because Nero this time had captured him, put him in prison. And this time they probably prayed, Lord, deliver Peter like you did last time. And this time Peter was killed, just like James in Acts 12. You never know what God is going to do, right? One Christian megachurch pastor. He's written 37 Christian books of importance, not 37, you know, published in a basement. 37 important books. And um, he had cancer. And God told him he was going to get better. He's going to live to be 100 years old. He says in a magazine article, uh, magazine that he was the editor of, which is an important magazine. He said, here's what I discovered. You have what you speak. If you want to change something, you must believe it enough to speak it. If you say you're sick, you will be sick and remain sick. I came off the sofa shouting, I'm healed. And for the next 30 minutes, all we did was walk around shouting thanks and proclaiming my healing. He published it in a magazine. I'm healed. Everything's great. I'm going to live to be 100. Ten months later, he was dead from the cancer. He's only 60 years old. Prayers of faith are not prayers in which we are overconfidently assuming that God is going to do everything that we think is the right thing for him to do. Uh, instead, instead of asking God to put his rubber stamp of approval on our agenda for the world, we're going to say, Lord, you are the power generator of the universe. And you send all good outcomes. And I just want to flip the switch of obedience and the flip, of, flip the switch of prayer. And if you are waiting for me to pray before you send down that good outcome, well, here's your prayer. And if you are waiting for me to pray 1,000 times before you send that outcome, this is about prayer 900, and I'll be 1,000 real soon. But I'm just trusting you. I'm not telling you what power you need to send down. I'm saying I love you and I trust you. And if you're waiting on prayer... This is your prayer. That's what a prayer of faith really is. December 27th, diary entry of a super nice young Christian couple, and the young man is dying of cancer. Nobody had any idea. The couple had only been married for a year and a half, and now this man is dying. She posts on social media December 27th. Well, I've told Isaac this isn't his fight anymore, but Jesus' fight. I will continue to pray and believe that God will still intervene and raise him from the dead. That is my faith and trust in him. He is so powerful and mighty. Please don't discourage me. Jesus requires all faith and belief in order to work. Why hasn't he intervened yet? I don't know. But I do know that his timing is not our timing and his ways are not our ways. I pray that Isaac and I will be able to follow God once he is healed and bear much fruit. So she's just sure she knows God's agenda. The next day is December 28th. Isaac is not responding at all and cannot be woken up. We continue to keep trusting in God, never doubting or losing faith in his miracle that is coming. Kiss, hugs, kiss. Pray, having faith, believing in a miracle with us. And according to the timestamp on that social media post, Isaac died one minute after she hit the send button. We don't know what the Lord is going to do. We're not telling him what to do. All we're doing is we're flipping the obedience switch. Lord, 
as far as I know, I'm obeying you. I don't even know what else to, to do. I'm obeying you as far as I know. And we're flipping the prayer switch. If you're waiting for prayer, this is the prayer. And now you just send down whatever good thing you're going to do. And that's what it means to pray in faith. I like this one. The other two are just sad. This one's happy and light. And this is how we end. This man, years ago, wants to go somewhere on the train. And it's important that he goes there. But he doesn't have enough money to pay for the train. So he says, when the day came for my departure, I found myself without enough money to pay the train fare. There were many people I could borrow the money from. But I was learning to trust God. And my prayer was that if he wanted me to go, he would provide the money without me imposing on one of my friends. I packed my bag and I walked to the train. And stepping up to the ticket office, I asked the clerk what the fare was. And he told me. And as the words were spoken, a man reached over my shoulder and laid the money on the counter in front of me. See, nice. He said, I didn't know if I was going to get on that train that day or not. I thought I was supposed to, and I just asked the Lord to make a way. And so he's hit the obedience switch. He's hit the prayer switch, and the Lord sends down a good outcome. And it could have been a different outcome, and he was good with that. All he said was, I don't want to impose on my friends, and if God wants me to go, then I hope he'll provide a way for me to go. And that's the way it turned out. So here's our conclusion. Peter's wonderful outcome and yours, that is, release from temptations, from chronic sins, from emotional unwellness that plagues us. How do we do this? Well, the place to start is to flip two switches in your life. The first switch is just pray. What what do you want the Lord to do? And the second switch is obey. Pray and obey. Flip the switches, complete the circuit, and I absolutely positively guarantee you that God will send something wonderful down the wire into your life, a happy outcome. It might not be precisely the outcome you had in mind, but I absolutely promise you it will be a wonderful outcome coming from a wonderful God.